Rising up back on the street. Did my time, took my chances. Get out of here. Yeah. Welcome to Dragon's Cast. Uh, with me today, I have Marshall Fleming. No comment on non D1 teams. Nick Intrieri. 70 point wins, baby. Uh, Bill Martin. And I am your host, Leon McConnell. And today we will open with uh, discussing the biggest victory in Drexel history uh, the Brennathan game. Uh, Bill, I think you probably watched this game most astutely out of the three of, uh, four of us. Uh, what's the, what was your biggest takeaway from this game? Um, that we were like a foot taller than in almost every position. <laughs> and that Kevin Doy probably could have started for them. I mean, this wasn't a, this wasn't a very telling game at all. I mean, we won by 75 points and grabbed 53 rebounds, 35 assists. I've never even seen numbers like that, but it wasn't even, wasn't really worth playing. Really, but. Oddly, I think Troy Harper still had a bad game somehow. I thought for sure this would be the game he'd shine in, but got in foul trouble early. I mean, the only the only positive I really see from him is it could be a confidence builder for some of the the guys who usually don't uh, contribute that much. Like um, Doles had a nice had a nice outing, showing some things that hopefully he could be able to do in some other games. How much confidence can you build dunking on toddlers? Not a lot. <laughs> go 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 dunk on a toddler, Marshall. It's pretty good. I hung out with my cousin's kid a couple weeks ago, and it did not build any confidence when I completely schooled him in baseball. So it could give a false sense of confidence, like we're really good when we're really not. Yeah, I, I don't think they're going to probably take away that. I think it was good to do I'm not saying we should have uh, played Bernathan at all, but and definitely it wasn't maybe the game we deserved as a D1 program, but it, from a timing standpoint, after that second half blowout at Rutgers I think it was a game we needed uh, to just kind of maybe reset a little bit before going into this week and uh, two D1 opponents that are probably going to be a challenge I don't know I, I I disagree with you there I would find any D1 team even if we have to pay a D1 team low D1 to come in and play at least for just going up against some level of size like I was taller than the uh, tallest kid on their team so <laughs> Of course, they're going to trounce them the way they did. It, it, to me, it was a waste of two hours, and it does absolutely nothing. Although, I'll be honest, in the beginning, I did. I was a little scared. Our defense in the paint still looked pretty bad against them. And, and I saw Tim Perry get boxed out a few times by somebody that was six foot two. It was a little disappointing. But again, not a game to read much into. I think uh, Dan Crane at Always a Dragon had the best uh, preview for this game. So if you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, we'll definitely put that in our show notes. Do you remember what Spiker said in our podcast about why we play these games? I remember, like, there because we kind of like talked about it a little bit and how we were a little disappointed, and it was like a scheduling thing, and you know we wanted to get some home games, and there was no one to fill. Yeah, and he also mentioned how a lot of the programs in the CAA kind of start off by it's not it's not something that's uh, you know out of the norm. It sounded like he talked about it. He talked about it in the post game of. Of um, of the Bernath the Bernathan game, he he just basically said it was some sort of event with Eastern Michigan and Rutgers, and due to some kind of scheduling, this is this game kind of had to happen. We didn't have a lot of options. It was kind of vague about why exactly we had to schedule them, but it had something to do with that. Was there anything else he said in the post game that was illuminating? Not really. <laughs> so we shot the ball well. <laughs> there wasn't anything. I mean, there wasn't an insight from a 75-point win. As the only person who was actually there to witness that in person, the 
the entire thing was a joke, to be honest. Like the the benefits that I will say is there were students out in the student section who seemed to be getting into it. Uh, so if that's their introduction into Drexel basketball, uh, Lord knows my first men's game was a 73-37 win over Florida Gulf Coast. So it can get people into it. Hopefully they saw something they liked and will come back. The rest of the stadium, though, was empty. And I don't know if that was a lot of just alums realizing that it's a joke of a game. Uh, and so they didn't bother showing up. Or if we're actually going to look at another season of below 1,000 uh, people in the stands. I mean, I specifically didn't show up because I didn't feel like driving an hour and a half to watch us play a big three game. So I'm, I'm assuming some other fans probably had a similar as as did I. No, that, so that makes sense. I wouldn't I wouldn't have expected you guys to go in. I'm sure we'll have more people trip to the actual games, but it did seem. I guess yeah, you're, I saw some pictures online, so that's good that the DAC back showed up and seemed like a decent force. And from my understanding, the team had DAC back shirts on. Is that right, Marshall? Yeah, they. Went back to doing that in the warm-ups. I know they did that uh, some of the years that I was here, so that's cool. Uh, they did that thing that they do prior to the game where the students can come down from the stands and as the team's doing a final defensive drill, the cheerleaders and dance team get on the court and the students and bands stand at the baseline and kind of cheer and get into it with them. So that kind of stuff's cool. I'm fine with that from a culture-building standpoint. Uh, but we need we need the rest of the fans to be in the stands in order for it to be a good atmosphere during the game uh, where there's going to be other games that are less laughable than this one, where if all we have is a good student turnout, it's going to still be a pretty lousy atmosphere overall. I saw online too, where the, uh, the players are actually going around, like trying to drum up support from the students, at least like handing out tickets. And um, so I think that's just a good initiative to get more students in the building, but you're, you're right, Marshall, we do need more support from everybody, but we'll see what happens when we play an actual new one opponent. Yeah, and some of those suggestions are things that some of us who were running the DAC pack in recent years have been working with the student leadership now to uh, get some of those things going again. So the getting students passing out tickets uh, from the team to students around campus has been one of the things that we've emphasized is important for getting student turnout. A ticket in hand is really, really good for for that. Awesome. So some good stuff to take away then from the Bryn Athen game. That's good. I think let's keep on the positive uh, positive vibes. We had two signings today. And then we have our local correspondent uh, recruiting specialist from the RecruitRecon.com days, uh, Mr. Bill Martin. Defunct. Uh, yeah, so <laughs> we got uh, TJ Bicklesworth, as Nick likes to call him, or Bickerstaff, which is his actual name. Um, he signed. I, mean, I we, thought it was Bickersley. You can't get the name right at all, but um, he signed officially today, which is good news, and we talked about him on the last podcast, I think. And then we also got a uh, more surprise signing from, uh, I'll probably butcher this name, but Matei Okros. He's a six 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 five shooting guard from uh, England. Uh, his family's from Hungary, actually, but he, uh, he's been in England. He's got an extremely British accent. Uh, I already watched a game of his, and, um, and it... Uh, he seems like it's a good, nice pickup. He can really shoot the ball. He can handle the rock a little bit, pass. Um, he can play on or off the ball. I mean, he need, he, he could bulk up a little bit and probably, um, you know, improve his handle and improve his decision-making a little bit. But overall, it looks like a pretty nice signing. Fits well with what Spiker's looking to. And he's like a two? Me. Yeah, he's a two. Interesting. So he's going to take over the Moran, or not Moran. Uh, <laughs> Trevor John. Uh, Trevor John role? 
Traver, John? Or do you think he can drive a little bit? He can do a little bit more than, than what I've seen from Trevor John so far. So he's 2.0? Traver John 2.0? Or John Moran 3.0. Oh, my God. We're going crazy here. Looks like he's going to be a nice wing player who can really shoot the ball and something we could use. So That's awesome. I mean, to me, like, I was just talking about this with Bill before we signed on. Like, I'm starting this. It's We're two games in, and I'm, I guess, just like Marshall, I'm not counting the last whatever that was. Um, you know, it worries me a little bit against Rutgers that not the fact that we're undersized against a power conference team, I'm expecting that, but our our transition D, our hu- kind of the hustle plays, the boxing out, it concerns me that we're not even boxing out six foot two guards from Bryn, Bryn Mar, Bryn Athen. Um, like, and, and we're burning shooters and we're scoring great, but where's our like stretch type player? That's going to clean up the boards. That's going to block the shots. It's going to do the dirty work on, you know, like I mean, we don't have one thing like the Draymond Green type glue guy that does the intangibles and hustles. And like, that's where we kind of lost the Rutgers game other than the fact that they were on fire. Um, but um, I think it exasperated the fact that, that, that we went from seven points down to 30 down because we did not have that glue guy. You guys know what I'm saying. Yeah, but I think going into this year, that was our biggest question mark, and it seems to be our biggest problem so far, at least in the in in the two games that we we're counting. Uh, we were pretty much, although even without that, I guess like stretch type player, we played three halves of basketball. We were pretty. I would say we looked like we were in it and playing pretty decently. It was that one half of basketball against Rutgers, the second half, and it seemed like uh, you know we we completely got outmatched. True. Uh, that's fair. I mean, no. I mean, I thought like you know, and again, we're we're still early on in the season, so. Um, but I, but I, you know, Trey almost like Isabel. I thought was gonna he was the most points, you know. And right now, like the way I'm looking at the team, like I'm not worried about points. I don't know about you guys, but it looks like we can score some points. We have guys that can shoot. We have guys that can score points. I'm worried about stretch. I think what we lost with stretch might 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 actually be not as easy replaced as Isabel in a strange way. Well, I think they're expecting like, I mean, I think as a whole, we were hoping like either Butler or Perry would be able to break something. I mean, Perry doesn't look quite ready yet um, to be out there and be a force on defense or even rebounding. Uh, Butler could be the guy on rebounds, I think, but I, against Rutgers with that size, I just don't think he's got enough to battle those type of guys. He, he might be all right in the CAA though, where there's not as many, um, huge, big men in the league. But I agree, we we do lack defense. Uh, we don't have any like standout defenders anymore, like we used to, like Bashir Mason or even Derek Thomas or Scott Rogers. At one point, we're all pretty solid on the ball defenders. I don't think we have anyone like that on the roster. Yeah, and this is the first year without any of the you know again other than Sam Green, if you're still counting him, Bruiser recruits. And it makes sense that we're on a team that defensively is uh, even you know we don't have anybody, no bigs to actually. Uh, block shots, you know, uh, or be a threat in in the paint when it comes to somebody driving in, which is why I think both in the Rutgers game and the Eastern Michigan game, uh, you know, we gave up a lot of points in the paint. And the Eastern Michigan game, that was a big problem. Rutgers game, we had a problem both inside and outside because they they just wouldn't miss. Yeah, it just went like that Rutgers game, and I, I know it was one, one bat, one half, and that's it. And I don't want to overanalyze it, but we started out the second half positively like we you know on offense especially like we had Demir and Kirk working it I think Demir especially you know he, he got his way in there Demir, Demir can play offense with anybody 
Like, I'm not, like, he can go down low, he can shoot. But it went from, we were down four to down 30 so quickly. And um, that concerns me a little bit right now, early on. And um, you got to be able to stop the bleeding. I think part of that was, I mean, part of it was the transition defense, and part of it was um, turnovers and just not executing well on the other side of the ball, too. But that transition D was killing us against Rutgers. Uh, Every time we'd miss a shot, they would come down and get an open look. And it wouldn't even be like a quick transition. It would just be like confusion, it seemed like, down on the other end. So, um, I mean, hopefully they'll clean it up as the season goes on. This this team, is we got to remember, is pretty much almost all brand new. Yeah. Like, we have so few people who even got minutes last year that um, it's – hopefully we'll see improvement as the season goes on as they gel a little bit more and, and get a little bit more experience under their belt. So, at this – I know two games is a very short time to make a measure of any sort, but Marshall – uh, do you, based on what you've seen so far, what do you think? I know that we all can agree on the defense and the big man issue. What do you think the second biggest issue is on the team, if there is one? I think you guys covered it already. The the lack of a post presence, and I guess that can be issue one and two, lack of it on offense and on defense. I would put defense as number one, and then lack of having a guy in the post who can score when we go against those teams with a really solid big or worse two bigs is is issues one and two and it seems like the two recruits that we brought in for next year don't really solve that so for 2020 where we have those three scholarships open that's where we better be trying to land uh a big who can come in and play immediately whether that's uh, really stepping the recruiting game up and getting a senior in high school big who can play as a freshman and start or getting a JUCO player or a transfer, whatever it is, uh, uh, ideally a transfer who can play immediately. Whatever that is, we need to address it there because otherwise we're going the rest of this season and next season with the players that we have and adding to that don't fill that need. Yeah, but uh, you never know, Marshall, too, like... Tim Perry might develop over the year, and maybe next year, maybe he could be that guy. I mean, we've seen so little of him, and he's just not—he's just not there yet. But our big men typically, at this level, take two years at least to develop. Like that's just standard. Like we're asking a lot out of Tim Perry coming in as a redshirt freshman and trying to do almost anything. Like Frank Eligar, like I said, averaged one point a game. I battled didn't even play. Well, one thing I will say about that is when we say it takes some two years to develop. I feel like that's offensively. Like, I think Battle, when he came in, like, I, I'm trying to remember way back, but when he, he was, played. he came in, yeah, he didn't, but he could play defense. Like, he, he just couldn't, like, do anything when he gave him the ball on offense. And I'm feeling like Elgar's the same thing. Like, you know, he could grab a rebound. Um, that's what concerns me is, like, Tim Perry's a big dude, but athletic, but, like, he's not, just doesn't seem to have, again, we're two games in. I don't know yeah, what to say. He's, he might not be. He might not be I comfortable mean, playing. Yeah, you know, not at this know. level. Like we're, I'm you're really, analyzing like two years down the road. We have to scrap these bigs. I, I'm not. I mean, these guys can develop a little bit more. I, I agree mean, with you. I agree with you. We'll but wouldn't you feel more comfortable bringing a big in in that 2020 recruiting class that can play more immediately? It seems like we're getting guards who both of those players seem like they'll be able to step in and fill a need immediately. If we could get that on a big man front for the follow-up class that's what my point was yeah to turn that level on recruiting and try and land that we now we don't have to worry about 2019 
class anymore. So we can go hard on those 2020 recruits or Spiker can go hard on those 2020 recruits. I mean, I agree with you on that, Marshall. I mean, I just think if you want a big at our level who's going to contribute right away, probably not going to be a freshman. I mean, you can go the Juco route. Like we brought in uh, Alihan and he, he can play right away. So, I mean, maybe you get a guy who's like that Juco or some kind of transfer. If you want a guy who's going to contribute right away, but I wouldn't hope that with a freshman, unless we get lucky and land someone like Kenny Trivet, who was a very highly rated prospect. <laughs> Never Kenny could shoot out. the three ball. Bruiser just never let him shoot it. He was actually a talented kid. He just, I don't know why. He couldn't get his head in the game. He had one good game but against he, Temple, he, I remember. Yeah, we all remember that <laughs> Temple game. I remember that Temple <laughs> game, too. But to your point, Bill, you're, you're right. We do have players on the team who can still develop, and I don't mean to short shrift them in that regard. But what we've seen to date hasn't shown any of that. And I wasn't here for Frank's freshman or sophomore year, so I don't know how raw he looked compared to his junior year. Um, but he also looks like he is a much, just physically as a person, he's a much different athlete than those guys were. He was 6'9 and could jump out of the building. I'm sure he didn't just learn to jump and touch the top of a backboard as a junior. Yeah, but he did look a lot, like he looked super awkward his first freshman year. Well, it was only his freshman year, by the way. By his Frank's sophomore year, he was playing significant minutes. He he was the, he was a monster junior year, but yeah. his sophomore year is when uh, was uh, was the year we were good. His junior his year, junior was year. We were good because was his it? senior year he, he he dipped off. It okay. was definitely his junior year. Okay, but the year before that, I think is when we played Duke and almost beat Duke. Mm-hmm. If I remember correctly. Yeah, that was his sophomore year. That was his, his sophomore junior, year. His junior was, year was the snub year, and you're right, he dipped yeah. off his senior year. But in part of that was he had no more help around him. Right, right. Yeah, but I mean, it didn't take him long to get in there, is what I'm saying. Like, I mean, I think even as a freshman, you could tell that the guy was super athletic and he was going to get the ball. He just, when he got the ball, he was very awkward. Yeah, um, he, looked, he looked super awkward as a freshman. But I mean, Tim Perry, Tim Perry's a freshman, essentially. I mean, he hasn't even played. Yeah. I mean, he has a little bit of potential. He's a little out, he's pretty athletic. He's long. He just needs to get the mentality right. I mean, will they get there? I have no idea. But I'm saying, like, we have guys on the team. But are all our eggs in the Tim Perry basket for this year and next year? Like, is there anybody else that can fit fit that role? I know James Butler is the other player we've been mentioning, but he's a little undersized for him until we get to the CAA maybe, right? Is there anybody else we're banking on here? For, like, aggressive rebounding and yeah. defense? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's it. Yeah. I mean, I was hoping Matt – I want James Butler to be like Matt Howard from Butler. Remember that guy? The – center from Butler when they went to the championship game twice in a row. I look like they're the exact same stats. Both those guys are both 6'8", 200 pounds. And like I remember that guy, Matt Howard from Butler, but he did all the little things. Like He was a scrapper. He boxed out. He, could, he did everything, that guy. He, he was like a taller NBA Sammy player. Givens. Yes. He wasn't an NBA player, but he was like really mentally smart and like gave you 110%. That's what we need out of Butler. And I think that's what we were expecting coming into this year with Butler, right? Because some of the stuff that Spiker told us when we talked to him and, uh, you know, I think we were expecting the 110% hustle, he leaves everything out on the court kind of guy. Again, this is two games in, so I don't want to get carried away here uh, because we the games we were comparing, especially the Rutgers game, was at a different – we were definitely outmatched from a size standpoint. So hopefully we see a little more of that hustle and – getting back on transition D in the next two games. Agreed. Uh, anything else you guys wanted to cover specifically around the games, the first two games, or otherwise we can jump to Fry's response in the triangle? No, I think the only other thing I had was I was actually encouraged by the Eastern Michigan game. I know we did a recap right afterwards, so my thoughts are probably there, but if you didn't listen to that, I, I we held in with a team that 
was more experienced and bigger sized than us in the post and at guard level. And we nearly knocked them off. So, And honestly, for being a team that's never played much together or at all, really, and being a brand new team playing together at this level, we only had one half of really bad basketball. And again, that half of really bad basketball could also be attributed a lot to, you know, the other team kind of going off because they shot over 50%. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I, I think it's we're still I think we're all encouraged still. We're just uh nitpicking here. That's what we do. But uh with uh, I guess we should talk a little bit about uh last time when we recorded our podcast, we mentioned uh talked about how all the DAC pack leaders got together had an opinion piece published in the Triangle uh, around the state of current basketball currently and some of our uh Concerns. I think that Fry, President Fry, had a response published very shortly after that, um, which seemed uh, pretty much. A little, it was very disappointing. Uh, I would say it was a pretty cookie cutter response. It seemed like almost like a check the box kind of thing, almost a show activity that hey, this, so, you know, something the, more about showing activity than actually, you know, getting a proper response out. But uh, I don't know if that response actually feelings that people had around Drexel basketball right now. It certainly pissed off the alumni who actually know what's going on. The fact that the president would basically blow smoke up their asses and make it seem like things are much better to the people who aren't paying attention, that infuriated a lot of people. I thought it was kind of embarrassing, to be honest, for him to write that and clearly just be pulling points off of the Drexel Dragons website. It seemed uh, it was written by someone who clearly doesn't go to games very often. I mean, it's, it's not like I don't think he wrote it. It's a PR piece someone else wrote. And I agree that it was cookie cutter. Um, I don't know. It was, would have been better than a no response at all. Maybe, I, you know. I no response would have been better. No response would have been better. Yeah, I mean, from, I a think P- response, from a PR standpoint. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm not the marketing guy. Um, I, you know, I think... No response probably means you don't care at all. I mean, that's, that shows a little bit more than caring at all, but probably not a lot of caring. You know, if, if you'd rather somebody doesn't care about it, they're just honest about it. Um, I mean, I'd be really surprised if he would have responded with a piece being like... Re- no, I, mean, I would think the no response <laughs> I mean, would be the not caring piece. Like, yeah, I, yeah I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think no response is worse than a response, even though it's as cookie cutter as... And, generic as it was it's still better than that you got a response than than no and he did show up and took a picture with the president of the DAC pack yeah he was there at the women's game on uh friday their home opener but i think he was scheduled to be there anyway because of veterans day he was at the Bryn Athen game so he can write about the record setting <laughs> offensive output the next time he feels like writing a canned response uh the I, I will say there's been some things behind the scenes that I don't necessarily want to go into right now because I don't know how much of it is sh- should be public yet. But there are some things to at least get him more involved. If he was at that game last night, surely he saw – well, he was at the game last night, and surely he saw the lack of alumni attendance there compared to the women's home opener, which wasn't a great attendance in and of itself. So he's got to at least now under two games see that. Whether he actually cares, that's up to him and his administration. But there's at least some things in the works behind the scenes that will ideally be there in place for changes to be made. 
I mean, and it's favor, favorable changes towards I, Drexel basketball. I would say this. If anybody, if Dr. Fries happens to be listening to this podcast 35 minutes in <laughs> right now and you're in the shower and you're listening to this, realize, or some representative of Dr. Fry or some representative that knows a representative of Dr. Fry, I would say us here on this podcast, this is not, as, as, as I will quote Mr. Zach Spiker, this is not normal. We've got people that really, really, really care about this program. Uh, Marshall, probably more so. Um, I mean, we all care a significant amount, but Marshall like, spends a significant amount of time uh, going to men's and women's basketball, and and we're looking to really build the program. So, like, don't waste this. Use it and and build it. You could build something great, even with you know a couple more wins, or not even that many more wins, but just a lot more resources. Uh, and that the generic response, you're just checking a box, but you know, you're not, this is not normal and use it. That's all I would say. If anyone has me listening outside of Rob Falcone and Dan Crane. <laughs> <laughs> B- Bill, you seem awfully quiet about this. Have you, has Bill left? No, he's here. You guys have covered enough of it already. Good. He's getting ready for his date. He's got a <laughs> snazzy shirt on. With yeah, actually, this is a nice shirt Bill has on. He's got like these like white circles and it's like a silk shirt. Can you take a picture of it so we can put it in the show notes? No, I'm gonna... Yeah, I will take a picture. Hold on. Let me... Bye. Thank you. As, as you take a picture of that, the only other thing that be, I thought was pretty funny, and uh, this was somebody put it on the Slack channel. I guess there was another editorial on the triangle pretty much calling out uh, President Fry a little bit. And it really doesn't, doesn't pertain too much to basketball. But the funniest part was just the ending of the whole article where they kind of Took another shot at, uh, I guess, our current love for squash at Drexel. I don't know if you guys saw that article at all. Yeah, I think I was the one who shared it on the Slack channel, but I forget what the last line was. I do just remember it had to do with squash. I, I didn't see that. Should we add a secondary hashtag to take back the DAC that's hashtag can't squash this? Can't squash. <laughs> I like that. Not to go too far off basketball, but we all went to Drexel. We know that it's not the easiest place to get through for four or five years so their editorial seemed to be commenting on that that it's they catered to getting freshmen in and making the freshmen stay so the retention's up and they favored the grad students who are doing research and things like that and then once you're an upperclassman you're kind of on your own and i think we all were probably there ironically we're recording this on shaft day nine years ago today the shaft came down and it still obviously lives on in students today if they are feeling like the uh, university's kind of forgetting about That's them. That's awesome. I didn't realize it was Shaft Day. Thank you, Facebook Memories. <laughs> Marshall, you wanted to give an update on Suitwatch. I don't know, Nick and Marshall, what's, what, what do you guys have prepared for Suitwatch 2018-19 uh, edition? Yeah, I think at the EMU game, I was a fan of the blue and gold suit. What did you think, Nick? Yeah, I, I'm glad you included that this in the, uh, in the agenda for today because... He's definitely taking note that we criticize the suits because they've picked up a notch. They look tailored. They look flashy. Um, you know, he, he, he's moved off his, this is my first interview suit. And uh, they're looking pretty good. Got to hand it to him. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for that update, guys. Uh, <laughs> predictions of the next two games. I think we'll be recording after the LaSalle and Boston uh, University game. Uh, probably after Thanksgiving. So happy Thanksgiving to everybody. Uh, this weekend, we play LaSalle at LaSalle, um, going against Ashley Howard, oh, ex-Drexel. Oh, man. Uh, I, I think I'm going to try to make it out of the game. Bill, I, th- I think you said you were going to come down for it. 
Uh, what do you? How do you think you got? We do the next two games, guys. Why don't you take it out first, Marshall? I I don't know what to make of the LaSalle game. It's Ashley Howard against his alma mater. Obviously, I think that cares. He cares more about it than the players do, or Spiker does in that sense, because none of them had a connection to Ash himself. So he's probably going to really want to get the win. Uh, they're also desperate for a win. They're 0-3 on the season. Uh, they lost to Temple at Temple. They lost versus Lafayette at home by one, and then they lost at Florida uh, pretty handily. So they're going to be really eager for a win. Uh, hopefully we are as well. Hopefully we're not satisfied with that D3 blowout. So uh, I hate to say it, but I think LaSalle is going to win that one. They look like they're very much rebuilding, and even though I think we might have a step up of them then, just in terms of the timing that our rebuilding is going, I think uh, the X factor of Ash really wanting this win is going to get that for them. I mean, I think that's a pretty good analysis. Um, you know, based on what you just, they lost to Lafayette. Yeah, seventy-seven, seventy-six. Oof. And Lafayette's one and two I on got, the season. I got to predict a win if they lost to Lafayette. Bill, Bill, um, Bill left for his internet date. No, um, but he he predicts a win as well. <laughs> In classic John Bruden fashion. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I, you know, I think last time we all wanted to kind of go one-on-one. Uh, again, we got Eastern Michigan and Rutgers, and we went 0-2. I'm predicting, uh, I'm going to stay consistent. I'm going to try to go another one-on-one over here. Uh, I think we pick up the game at LaSalle and probably lose to Boston. See, I'm going to go win against Boston. Uh, they're th- quote-unquote three and one on the season. One of their wins was against Emerson, who themselves is not D1, uh, but they they actually beat Northeastern in the first game of the season, which, what the hell, Northeastern, like, you're predicted to win the CAA and you lose to the predicted fourth best team in the Patriot. Like that's That was a bad loss for Northeastern that could hurt them either seating-wise or resume-wise if they're looking for an at-large in March. So, uh, but that, that excluded. They won at Albany, who's not great this year. Uh, they beat, uh, or I'm sorry, they lost to Vermont. So I'm actually going to say we beat uh, BU, especially since it's at home for us. Nick, what do you think? We beat BU too, two and zero. Oh? I, I uh, yeah, two and zero. Oh. I'm going to go two and zero. Oh. I'm going to I was very negative in the opener, but I'm going to go positive there. Nice, nice. I think that's all we had today. If you guys want a bi-weekly summary of all DU hoops content in your inbox, subscribe to the Blue and Gold Club newsletter. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. I think they were pretty much aggregating all the content that's coming out on Drexel Basketball. And, of course, if you're not already reading Always a Dragon, uh, I think that's the best place to find all Drexel news right, right now, especially recruiting news. I think Dan's doing a great job at recruiting news recently as well. So give them a check out the website. I think it links on our website, and we'll put it in the show notes as well. Before you go, I just wanted to thank you for being a listener. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter, where we go by underscore DragonsCast, and on Instagram, where just DragonsCast. For even more Drexel basketball breaking news and discussion, join us in the Slack chat by clicking the link in the show notes or by going to www.dragonscast.com. Until next time, be good.